When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go to the many 5e books and talk about various rules and enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk about swamps. Blub, blub. Anyway, there are a lot of different terrains that exist in the world, and applying such into Dungeons & Dragons is an important part about making a full, proper, fleshed-out fantasy world. And swamps in particular are infamous, for good reason, as being really, really dangerous. So we're going to be going through a whole bunch of just stuff kind of about swamps and just how to use it in a D&D game. So, unfortunately, this is one of those situations where there is a lot of stuff scattered throughout the books, but there is not any easy individual source. So, in the player's handbook, there's nothing. In the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's a brief mention in the Adventure Environments chapter that just mentions swamps here and there, but there's still not really a lot about them. So most of the actual information about swamps comes from adventures, comes in monster descriptions more than anything else, really. However, the most useful book is definitely going to be your Xanathar's Guide. Xanathar has got random encounter tables for all of the different environments that you're likely to need. So it not just has a chart for swamps, it even has three different ones for various tiers of difficulty. So it's got an encounter table for levels 1 to 4, one for levels 5 to 10, and then a really hard one for levels 11 all the way up through 20. And that is absolutely fantastically useful, because even if you just look at the chart, that can give you a better idea of the kinds of creatures that are going to be in a swamp. So before I go off uh, ranting about some of the particular details of things that I like from these charts, Nathan, what the hell is a swamp? It's green and muddy. Got trees. Yes. Vines, I think. Yeah. Maybe. Pretty much. Yeah. Like what makes a swamp a swamp is just a lot of water that's grown a lot of greenery. And part of what makes that all work so well together in a fantasy environment is that if you do have a particularly dense swamp, then you will just have that overgrown canopy above your players. And it just gives you as a DM so much fodder to build a creepy environment. Swamps are particularly well suited for being creepy. They are something that has scared humans from time immemorial. So it is absolutely within DM prerogative to just turn that all the way up to 11. So you have this, you know, dark canopy 
So regardless of the time of day, your players can very easily lose track of time because it's just been this perpetual, almost twilight. You can only see a short distance in front of you. The sheer moisture content of a swamp can easily have there be a perpetual fog. And if you really want to just twist the knife that little bit more, if you do have like glowing creatures or fungus to make it so that there's basically no natural light, but if you just have this perpetual, you know, glow fungus or, you know, glowing fish or what have you, then there's nothing for players to be able to use to keep track of time of day. So you can use that so very easily to play with expectations, to play with time, to just have your players have absolutely no idea how much time has passed. So then you can start going into exhaustion rules because they've just lost track of time for how long they've been marching. You can have it be harder to know when to camp, when to eat. Uh, just getting supplies in general is hard because so very many things in a swamp can be poisonous. And then that's not even getting into when the many magical effects that can happen. Just a normal natural swamp has been a historically dangerous place for humans forever. So when you do apply magic and monsters into that mix as well, again, that just cranks it up that much more. And there is so very much fodder for a DM to play with in such an environment. So just for funsies for my sake, Nathan, what are some of the creatures that you would associate with a swamp environment? Um, I'm thinking stuff like frogs, maybe, um, and stuff like a like alligators and such creatures. Yeah, that certainly works. Uh, out of curiosity, have you ever heard of a creature called a bullywug? Yes, actually, it's frog people. Frog people! So, what would happen if you had, say, four bullywug monks? I don't actually know. <sighs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Technically frogs, Maybe You do know on. your cultural references. I, I don't get any of them beforehand until you yeah, say I know. it. Right? Technically, it'd be more accurate with turtle, but that's slightly yeah. less funny. Although saying. turtles also, just turtle people, are a creature that also canonically does exist, uh, even is available for player characters, uh, excuse me, in D&D Beyond and such. No, not in my world, so, get out. <laughs> uh, well, as DM, that is always up to you to decide what you're, races you're are available You're dumb, for humanoids, characters. ugly. I, I, all my humanoids look vaguely like real people. Screw you, furry creature things. So what about when you've got tieflings, demon people with horns and tails? That's yeah, still but, fine. Yeah, but they're demon people. They're not like, are there demons in real life? No. Swamp so people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's wrong with bullywugs and turtles? They look like things I see in real life, and that I don't like that. <laughs> so the problem is no real things. <laughs> yes. Oh, Nathan. No, really, because okay. this this is a massive tangent, right? <laughs> All orcs, um, humans, tieflings, the, the base thing is that they mostly look like humans, and the stuff that is additional is basically, like, minor stuff, right? But you, you go to all these, like, stupid-looking hippo, hippo people, stupid-looking <gasps> frog people. Stupid hippo people? <laughs> looking. Keyword. Stupid. Anyway. <laughs> oh, although I will say Loxodons are better. Elephant. Those guys are cool. They look stupid too. Let's not have this fight on the air. I can yell at you later. 
Anyway, <laughs> that was a tangent on the tangent. Anyway, what I do mean to get into, though, with all of this, besides the fact that there are so many fantasy creatures, it is absolutely possible and encouraged to take real world, real world creatures like you were talking about earlier and to give them the D&D twist many of which are already done for you. So a lot of this, again, I'm just looking at the Xanathar's Guide Swamp Encounter tables, and it has like the things you'd expect. Poisonous snakes, rats, giant rats, crocodiles, giant spiders, swarms of insects. Yeah, that all totally checks out. Uh, then you also do have, you know, the giant frogs, the bullywugs, uh, orcs also apparently can be a swamp creature, which actually is kind of an interesting one to me. So orcs, you don't typically like you don't really see a lot of orc settlements because of the typical prejudices around orcs. But a swamp could actually be a fantastic place for like the races that are just trying to be left alone to just have their territory like in a place where they can just kind of live on their own. So you can have just like a tribe of orcs that are just kind of living in the swamp, just kind of minding their own business. So if you do want to break away from some of the typical, you know, aggressive stereotypes, then this would be one way to do that, to just have different things in different places. A uh, couple other just kind of interesting standouts off of this list. Trolls are like one of their primary homes is in the swamp. They are a creature that is at home, like in the muck, in the mud. So anytime that you can just throw a troll at a party, I'm always pleased at that. So, of course, I had to bring that up. Now, another one that is on this list that is not one that I had considered, but is giving me all kinds of ideas now. Nathan, what is a revenant? A dead thing that has been brought back to life for a mission thing. Correct. So revenants are a swamp creature, according to this chart. And that makes a lot of sense because a lot of unscrupulous people, to put it politely, through real life and potentially in a D&D world, dispose of the bodies of people that they've killed in a swamp because it is a really, let's say, efficient place to do such a thing. So if you do have revenants in your worlds, then having there be a revenant who does return from death to hunt down those who killed them can really be a pretty interesting plot line that you can play with. So you can have that be that, you know, your party encounters such a revenant and then the party has the choice to, you know, either try to help them or to get out of their way or just whatever interaction or plot hooks you want to arrange. Maybe because of the dangers of the swamp that the party has hired a guide to help them through the swamp. And you can just have it be that, ah, the guide that you hire is the person who killed the revenant. So then you have a direct you know, black and white kind of choice of do you help the Revenant, you know, kill your guide or, you know, just standing back to do so also, or do you, you know, try to take down the Revenant? But then that's the thing is a Revenant just comes back. So even if a Revenant is killed, it can still just come back. So a party is not as likely to know the details of how a revenant works specifically because that is a much lesser known creature than something like a troll, which does have more commonly known weaknesses. So even if the party does decide to kill the revenant, 
It's a revenant. It ain't going to stay dead. And then you have this kind of recurring enemy through this, you know, swamp travel, you know, session or whatever, however long it ends up being. So revenants just are a very cool creature that just are one that I would really like to see a bit more of. Uh, besides the revenant, though, then we also move on to one of the other classic kind of swamp creatures, but another one that I really don't see as often as I kind of think ought to be the case, which is the infamous Hydra. So straight out of myths and legends, there was like the Hydra of, you know, the labors of Heracles, where he had to go into the swamp and fight the Hydra. So to have a Hydra in a D&D swamp is just cool and makes sense. And then you get like a Hydra is getting into like the level of creature that like might even need to be on the map that like, you know, oh shit, you know, there's the here be dragons, but you might also need to have like, you know, here be Kraken, here be Hydra. Just there are certain things that are so dangerous, a beast to normal people that it ought to be like a big deal that there is one in the area. Like if there is a known territory of such a creature. And then if you do have, you know, this Hydra as this just creature in this territory, then this gives that excellent opportunity for just a D&D party to try to defeat such a creature. Because part of the game of D&D that is really not really played with very much is renown. How well known are your players? A lot of the time we'll have it be like there will be like a bard character who says, you know, they write songs telling tales of the party's adventures. But much more often than not, DMs don't usually play with that a whole a whole lot. You don't usually have the situation of, you know, players arrive somewhere new once they are like into higher levels and have had some deeds under their belt you still have them show up in a new town and be unknown. It is shockingly rare to actually have player characters be recognized for the deeds that they have done. And a Hydra, as such a classic monster, can be a fantastic opportunity for the legend of players to be, to kill a creature that is on the map, literally, hopefully. So if, if they do kill, you know, the dragon, the Hydra, the big monster that is so, you know, old and powerful that they've just been part of the terrain, you just don't go there because that thing is there. And for your player characters to be the ones to defeat such a creature would just be something that should be done more to have famous monsters in world. To have there be, you know, the famous Hydra, the famous dragon. And speaking of dragons, that is another of the very important creatures that are worth mentioning for a swamp. Because the black dragon, which is also unfortunately often agreed to be one of the most evil of dragons, according to the official lore, like I think it actually explicitly says that black, dra black dragons are the most evil and cruel. And they are swamp creatures. So not only is it just a horrifically dangerous creature, but it is it has a swim speed in addition to its usual fly speed. It is amphibious, one of the few dragons that are. So you can have an ancient dragon just below the murky water. And murky water in general is just a big part of why a swamp can be so dangerous and just, again, such fodder for a DM 
because anything can be just under the water. You look at a swamp and you don't know, is that water six inches deep? Is that water 50 feet deep? Just by looking, you don't know. And this is also one of the environments where adventurers can absolutely get use out of the trusty 10-foot pole, because having just a poke stick to check, can I step there or am I going to start drowning, is very, very important. So that's just on the creature side of things. And if you do check these charts in Xanathar's Guide, there are so many more creatures that I'm just not getting to. But I mean, I could just rant on and on about cool monsters all the time. And I've done that in a lot of previous episodes. But there is more to say for swamps in general. So I will just kind of summarize the creature's side by mentioning there are a lot of beast type creatures that are stupidly dangerous in the real world that are already statted out for use in D&D. Like we talked about the crocodiles and just giant frogs and just so many, many, many more. Giant snake also just fantastic swamp creature. So beasts, definitely a good thing. Plant creatures. This is another one of those that I don't see as often as I would like. Plant creatures are really cool and a very flexible thing because a beast is generally going to be about the same in how it actually works. Plants are so much more varied in how they can actually mechanically be used because plants can either be mobile thanks to magic and able to, you know, crawl around on their roots and fling spikes or what have you. Or you can have plant creatures that are completely immobile. Like maybe you do just have a thing that just is grown and so it only has so much reach with its, you know, thorny vines or, you know, pollen or spores or what have you. And there are just so many different things that you can do with them that it is incredibly disappointing to me that you don't see them used as often as you potentially could. And there are some of like the official plant creatures that just are just criminally underutilized. Like the Shambling Mound is one of those creatures that most D&D players have heard of, but still haven't necessarily actually fought against one. And so they have quirks to them that most people just don't know about. So the first, you know, just useful things for that, just it is pretty armored, considering it's just a plant. It's got like a 15 AC naturally, 136 hit points, can walk, it can swim. It is resistant to both cold and fire. Plus, the thing has flat out immunity to lightning damage. And it's this thing that it has with lightning that makes the Shambling Mound, to me at least, so neat which is just that besides being flat out immune to lightning, it even goes a step farther. Whenever a Shambling Mound takes lightning damage, it is immune to the damage, first of all, but instead regains hit points equal to the lightning damage. So if you have something like this, either in an area with frequent lightning strikes that it might just choose to be its home, or paired with a druid who might have, you know, call lightning as one of their spells ready. So then you just have this kind of symbiotic partnership with either a druid or just with the environment in which it lives. And making more use of the environment, of the various things that interact with the ecosystem of the swamp is part of what makes it so useful. There are so many individual dangerous things that could all work together to make a stupidly hostile environment. 
And that's just, so then beasts, plants, uh, like we talked about with the Revenant, undead could be a very common swamp hazard. Like there are so, so many creatures of so, so many different types that can all be part of the environment. However, besides all of that crap, there's the swamp itself. Swamps are fucking dangerous. Just besides the creatures, you can have all kinds of poisons and toxins that exist, whether that is just swamp gas that can build up to levels fatal to people, whether that is just, you know, poisons and spores and such of various animals and plants and just all of the various things. Poison in general is yet another another of the underused things in 5th edition D&D because 5th edition made poison kind of less of a big deal. The poison condition is relatively easily cured. There are a number of ways to just get resistance, if not immunity, to poison damage. So just it's underappreciated as a danger because poisons and toxins kill a lot of people. Even now in the modern world, that shit happens. And there's just not a lot that we can do about it. If you do just get the wrong poison injected into your body without immediate antidotes, there are things that can kill you. And again, a D&D swamp is where you as a DM should take advantage of that fact. Because if you put a timer on things that creates tension, it creates risk reward for the party. So if you did create a creature that had a particularly potent poison, then you can have, like, there's this one particular snake, let's say, that it bites your character, and you might immediately just be able to just kill it. It's still just a tiny snake. It might just have a single hit point. So anything will kill the snake. But it just has a magically potent venom so that it is unable to be cured by a normal lesser restoration. So you can then just have that be something like one of the necrotizing snake venoms, which is absolutely horrifying. If you ever did look at some of the images of necrotic venoms, it is terrifying and effective and just fantastic for a DM. So you have this necrotizing magical poison that is unable to be easily cured just in the field. Maybe you need to have like an anti-venom poison to get rid of this, or maybe you need to have just a more potent healing spell. Like maybe you'll just, you know, flat out uh, spell out. It needs, you know, greater restoration or a similar level of healing spell to actually cure this. So higher level players can be a little more okay, but... For most people in the world, still just significant danger. But again, uh, the reason I'm going into so much detail of this is I want to spell out the danger of such poisons. So if you did have this infect the character, they get bitten, they fail the con save for the poison to start affecting them. And that's where I want to kind of deviate from the normal rules as written and treat it more like a disease. So if you have this in your player character's body, then depending on exactly how dangerous you want it to be, which is definitely something careful to balance, you can say like every hour they will take, you know, 1d4 poison damage and their hit point maximum is reduced by the same amount. So something like that, that puts a finite timer on the safety of the person bitten is just, just turning the screws in your players in terms of just how quickly they have to get through this swamp. 
and a swamp is, much more often than not, a rather significantly sized landmass. And even besides the size, you cannot quickly move through a swamp under normal circumstances. So unless everyone in the party somehow has like a broom of flying to just go over a swamp, or unless everyone in the party has some method of water walking so they're not just slowed down by the constant feet thick mud slowing them down, then normal travel through a swamp is going to be slow. It's going to be loud because you can't really stealth very easily if your foot is two feet just wading through the mud. I mean, hell, if you have a halfling in the party, like, how are they even dealing with, well, I guess just pressure to weight ratio, so they probably wouldn't actually sink two feet because they're lighter. Anyway, the point being, there are creature dangers. There can be poison dangers. There can be environmental dangers. So, the best movie of all time is The Princess Bride, and they do have a swamp, the fire swamp, in that movie. And they do a really good job in a very short amount of time to establish, okay, there's this swamp. It's called the fire swamp because in addition to dangerous creature, the rodents of unusual size, in addition to, you know, a practically magical fast quicksand, which is another just really cool thing that a DM can lift, then there also is just random spurts of fire here that just ignites just the flammable gases that do very frequently build up in a swamp environment. So having that more fantasy environment on the swamp, again, you're just constantly cranking up the danger of living in a swamp. So having just random shoots of fire, or like I was talking about before with the Shambling Mound, maybe you just have like some particular ironwood trees or some such that just have so much iron content in them that it's just constant lightning strikes to a particular swamp. So then you just have this, you know, lightning swamp, for lack of a better phrase. And then, of course, that would just become a haven to shambling mounds. So then you have this kind of interaction between environment and creatures and danger and weather and just all of these things together to make swamps a fucking dangerous place to go through. So in summary, there are a lot of ways that you can use the environment to shape how the area feels as your player characters are going through. And swamps in particular have a lot of creatures, of environmental avenues available to you to really set the mood as a dangerous place in your world. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash riffwakepodcast. Here's stars, stars, a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord where we will chat with the cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at riffwakepodcast, on Facebook as riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash riffwakepodcast. And now, send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffsandrules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye! Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.